And as you take your seat, you can open with me and your copy of the Word of God to the prophet Zechariah. We're going to look at chapter 2. We've been looking at New Testament passages throughout this Advent season for the past three Sundays, and I ran across this wonderful, marvelous passage in Zechariah in chapter 2, which I believe gives us a beautiful foretaste a shadow of what is to come in the advent of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, God with his people. The key theme in Zechariah is God's return to his people after exile. Zechariah is one of those happy prophets, we call it. He is giving good news to the people. He's giving encouragement. Along with the prophet Haggai, both prophets sought to encourage God's people to leave Babylon and go back to the holy city so that they could rebuild the temple and the wall and the city itself. The progress and the work of God's kingdom is often slow and discouraging. Nevertheless, many came back, and when they did, and even before others came back and returned, God gave a beautiful picture of himself in this passage. Advent means revealing. And you'll notice three times in this passage, in verse 5, God reveals himself to his people. I myself will be a wall of fire around it, that is the city, declares the Lord. I will be its glory within. And then again in verse 10, shout and be glad, daughter Zion, for I am coming. And I will live among you, declares the Lord. And then finally in verse 11, many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day and will become my people. I will live among you and you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Advent reminds us of God's immeasurable presence and love as he offers us comfort and redemption and joy to all those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. I'd like you to notice three things this morning. Number one, God comes to us in our difficulty. We see that in verses one through five. Number two, God comes to us to set us free from bondage. And we see that in verses six through ten. And then thirdly, God comes to gather his people from the nations. And we see that in verses 11 and 12. So with a synopsis of the message, join me in prayer. Let's ask God to bless our time together in study of his word. Father, I pray now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart might be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Father, forgive the preacher for his sins are many. We wish to see Jesus and him only. And we pray that you would move on our hearts, Lord, this Advent season. And touch our lives with the presence and the power of the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Bless this time now, Lord, as we open your word. And we'll give you the praise and glory for all that you will do in our lives. And we make our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. First of all, I want you to notice that God comes to us in our difficulty. In verses 1 through 5, we have a vision of Zechariah, one of eight different visions that he has in the first part of the book, chapters 1 through 6, I believe. 
And in this vision, he sees a man, an angel essentially, going to survey Jerusalem. Verse 1, I looked up and there before me was a man with a measuring line or a measuring tape in his hand. I asked, where are you going? And he answered, to measure Jerusalem, to find out how wide and how long it is. These measurements would be made in order to facilitate the rebuilding of the wall of the entire city and ultimately the temple, which was destroyed. The year is approximately 520 B.C. A few years earlier, in 538 B.C., after 70 years of captivity with the Babylonians, God moved on the heart of Cyrus, the Persian king. And Cyrus, after they had defeated and conquered the Persians, after they had defeated and conquered the Babylonians, issued an edict that all the Jews could return to their homeland. They were set free to go back and build the city, the walls, and the temple. Well, oddly enough, here is an angel measuring. And then all of a sudden we have an abrupt interruption. While the angel, verse 3, was speaking to me, was leaving, another angel came to meet him. So we have three angels here. Zechariah has been talking to one angel, and then there is an angel measuring the city, and then a third angel comes on the scene. And he talks to the second angel. And he says, run, tell that young man, Jerusalem will be a city without walls because of the great number of people and animals in it. In other words, measurements will not be necessary for rebuilding because God's ultimate plan is to dwell amongst his people. Now, the key to this portion of the passage is one must distinguish between what's Visible, what's going on physically, and what's going on spiritually. You see, physically, the temple will be rebuilt. The city will be reestablished. The wall will be rebuilt. We know that from the book of Nehemiah. But God is helping us to see something behind the scenes here. And he is saying what really is important is not bricks and mortar. It's not even the temple itself. Or the wall around it. Because I promise, I promise, I will be a wall of fire around this city. And I will be its glory within. What a beautiful picture. That is the unseen thing. God is present with his people in a very unique way here. We know that from the Exodus and other places, God has always promised to be amongst his people. And he has. But here it becomes more tangible. I will be a wall around my people, and I will be the glory within it. In other words, I will be its temple or tabernacle in the middle of it. Now, this is very significant because God's promise to be with his people in Zechariah's day was in the midst of difficulty. Many of the Jews had returned, but it's been many years now, and a lot of the Jews remained in Babylon. Probably because they were there for 70 years, they got so used to it being home that they couldn't see themselves packing up and coming back. It was a dismal time, a difficult time in life, and yet the Lord God Almighty came right in the middle of the misery of his people to encourage them to love them and to make it clear that he was still with them. God's promise to his people in Zechariah's day 
had an infinitely greater fulfillment in our Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, God would send and make known to us his immeasurable love and grace and mercy by sending his Son, Jesus Christ, as an atonement for our sins. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. And the Bible in John chapter 1 says, The Lord Jesus came, God in flesh, and he tabernacled amongst us. You see, God's ultimate glory would be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And there would be no need to measure to build a city because God was going to be a city within a city, a temple within a temple, and a protective wall around his people. I get tickled when I think about this angel measuring for Jerusalem because when I go and think about the Lord Jesus in Ephesians chapter uh, 3, verse 17 and 19. Paul says, I pray that you may be rooted and grounded in love, that you may be able to, to comprehend with all the saints the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of the love of God in Christ Jesus. There's no need to measure the city. And when you look at your life, it's very important to remember that just as God came to his people in that very dark and difficult time, he comes to you and he comes to me in the person of the Lord Jesus, who Hebrews says is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his nature, who upholds all things by the word of his power. God comes to us in our difficulty. But notice the second thing quickly. God comes to us to set us free from our bondage. Look at verses 6 through 10. God calls his people to flee Babylon. And here we're introduced to a somewhat of a messianic figure. Look at verse 8. For this is what the Lord Almighty says. After the glorious one has sent me against the nations. I believe the other translations say honored me. And sent me against the nations who have plundered you. For whoever touches you touches the apple of his eye, of God's eye. We're introduced to a messianic figure. He will be sent by the glorious one, that is, God Almighty. He will come to his people and deliver them from their enemies. In fact, in verse 9a, he will turn Israel's enemies against themselves. As demonstrated in the words, their slaves will plunder them. Things will be turned upside down. Just like when God delivered the children of Israel from Egyptian bondage. You remember what happened? He says, not only will I deliver you, but also the Egyptians you will plunder. And as they were leaving, the Egyptians were giving them gold and silver and all kinds of goods to demonstrate God's powerful, mighty hand to deliver them from their bondage. And you'll notice verse 9, or excuse me, verse 9 and 10. He says, then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me. Shout and be glad, daughter Zion, for I am coming and I will live among you, declares the Lord. He says there's going to be gladness and joy. Why? Because the Lord will not be only be present with his people. He says, I am coming and I will live among you, declares the Lord. In other words, I'm going to abide among you. Throughout the Old Testament, God made sporadic appearances in various ways. But you'll notice the intensity now. It's getting stronger and stronger. I am coming, and I will live among you, declares the Lord. 
God called back then and invited his people to enjoy freedom, to escape the terrible bondage of Babylon where they had suffered for 70 years. But this was only a foretaste of the greater freedom the Lord would offer his covenant children in Jesus Christ. The Lord's promise to come and dwell amongst his people was fulfilled in Jesus. As John 1.14 says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory as of the one and only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Christ came to deal with man's greatest enemy, that is sin. That's what the Israelites could never get straight. Their greatest problem wasn't Egypt, it wasn't Babylon, it wasn't the Romans. It was the sin within. And that's our greatest problem. We don't need a change of circumstances. We don't need a a change of venue. So often we try to do so many exterior things to calm ourselves inwardly, to give us a sense of peace and stability. But that's not the way God operates. Christ came to deal with our greatest problem, and that is sin. He came to release us from our bondage and deliver us from the domain of darkness where Satan holds sway. Indeed, Christ, by his death and resurrection, came and bound the strong man. You remember Jesus talked about that. No one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. He came to earth in the form of a man, and behind the scenes, he died on the cross and shed his blood. And in so doing, he bound the strong man, Satan, and he plundered his goods. And we make up those goods. In John 8, 34, Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. And later in verse 36, he said, If the Son shall make you free, you will be free indeed. Advent is a time to remember that God comes to us. He comes to you in your difficulty. Advent is a time to remember that God comes to us to set us Free. Jesus didn't come to make us a better whoever we are. He didn't come to simply offer some good advice or some counsel. He came to die in our place as our sin-bearing substitute. And as a result, when we put our faith in him, we are brought from deadness to life, and we become new creatures in Christ Jesus. Have you experienced that deliverance from the bondage of your sin? doesn't mean we stop sinning altogether. But it means that the Lord miraculously pulls back the veil and we begin to see the real world. So many things are hidden from us. That's why Jesus said to the Pharisees, because you say you see, you're blind. Whenever the Lord pulls back the blinders, we begin to realize that the real world is not this. It's the spiritual world. And we can see behind the scenes, these things are taking place. And the Lord gives us the strength and the power to deal with our sin, the humility to keep moving forward, and the grace to take one day at a time. Have you been set free from the bondage of your sin? Well, God comes to us in our difficulty. He comes to us to set us free. Thirdly and finally, God comes to gather his people from the nations. I love this part. Look at verse 11 with me. Many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day and will become my people. 
I will live among you, and you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. God's glorious presence and the freedom he graciously offers will go far beyond the borders of Israel. Zechariah is speaking on behalf of the Lord, who will extend his grace and mercy to the nations. What a marvelous thing. This is the mystery that Paul talks about. That God who chose the Israelites to be his covenant people ultimately would reach out and extend his grace and mercy to the nations so that whosoever will can come and find grace and mercy and forgiveness and strength to walk the Christian life. No wonder that ends with be silent or be still. The Lord has aroused himself from his holy habitation. The Lord Almighty roused himself to come to earth to rescue all his chosen people from the greatest bondage of all, the bondage of human sin. And the Lord God Almighty became man in the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ and was born in a cow stable in Jerusalem one silent night long ago. If you've never taken the time to be still, to be silent, this is the time to do it. And to ask yourself the question, have I come into contact with this great Messiah, this Lord Jesus Christ, this God-man? Do I have a personal relationship with him? Have my sins been forgiven in him? And do I look forward and anticipate his return? Sometimes it's good to be still, as the psalmist said, and know that I am God. Advent is a time for us to be still. Be silent and consider that this great God can be known in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And we do that with a faith relationship. That is, we acknowledge his presence, we acknowledge what he's done for us to pay for our sins, and we turn our lives over to him by faith and claim him as our Lord and our Savior for the rest of life. You know, John's vision of the new Jerusalem shows that there is no need for light in the holy city because the Lord God Almighty, through the Lamb, is going to be the light of the world. And he'll shine in all of his glory. And we will see him. I trust you'll be there. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for this marvelous picture in the Old Testament of your presence amongst your people. And Lord, we thank you for multiplying that many, many times as we consider the Lord Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, as he was born so many years ago, God in flesh. Lord, help us to hear the words of the Lord Jesus this morning. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Lord, may all of us obey that command. And I pray for those who, for the first time, perhaps, might yield and submit to Christ and turn their entire life over to him, that they might receive forgiveness and the certainty of being with you forever. Lord, do all these things and more, and we'll give you the praise and glory for what you will do in our hearts and lives. We make our prayer in Jesus' name.
Amen.